Welcome to week number three in our series that we're calling the Daniel Dilemma. We're looking at the book of Daniel, especially focused in on the first six chapters that are really history. But what we learned last week in week number one is history really does kind of repeat itself. And there's some prophetic repetition in the things that Daniel went through and, and uh, the Hebrew people, uh, specifically three others that we're going to look at today that we talked about a little bit last week, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and if you didn't have a chance to hear that message, I encourage you to check it online. Check it out online. Uh, it's on our website. Uh, week number one, we called that When Culture Shifts. And today we want to kind of jump into uh, another story here. It's in Daniel chapter 3, and we want to look at uh, culture's greatest test. Culture's greatest test. So uh, welcome our online campus and also our microsites uh, that are joining us. We're so glad that you did, and, and just so thankful for the technology that we can continue to connect, even though you're not here uh, in person. And, and so I want to invite you to go ahead and open up the notes section on our website uh, that looks like this little button on the homepage. That's valleyny.cc. My notes are right in there for you. You can follow along. You can also add to those notes. And even then, if you want to save them, you can email them to yourself and you'll have them forever and ever and ever as long as you don't lose your electronic device that you have right now. So anyway, uh, you know, we want to talk about, uh, look at this story. It's probably familiar to many of us, uh, the three Hebrew children, uh, young men in the fiery furnace. But before we do that, I want to give you kind of a key verse for what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, a key word really is stand. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, it says, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. There it is. Stand firm. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Which, by the way, this is week number four in our series. We're going to talk about that, how important it is that everything we do, even when we take a stand, see it right here in this verse, we've got to do it with love. And so last week we talked about really the theology of the book of Daniel, that everything we do as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ today, it has to be full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. So that's really the theology, theological framework of the book of Daniel. And it's supposed to be really the theological framework of our lives. And I won't do any more review than that. But we are supposed to stand firm in the faith. So it's all about standing firm. So that key word stand, we're going to probably hear that about 20 times today. So let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, going to read a lot of the story. I'll summarize some of it as well. But it says, King Nebuchadnezzar, we talked about him, quite a dude, we talked about him last week, made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So Children of Israel, Hebrew children, are in captivity in the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar's the king, and he sets up this image of himself. Now, for those of you wondering what's a cubit, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide is basically 90 feet high. 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. So, uh, like here in Hopewell, the peak of the roof here in our auditorium is about 35 feet or so. So, so it's almost like, uh, it's 35-ish feet. It's almost like three times what the peak is uh, of the ceiling here uh, in our auditorium. That's a, that's a big old statue. Some scholars actually believe that the statue was of Nebuchadnezzar himself. 
So he was saying, worship me as God, although the story doesn't say that. But it goes on and it says, so it's an image, notice, and then it said, then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. Now take note of that. This is a commandment. This is the King Nebuchadnezzar. He's commanded that everyone has to do this. You are obligated to do this. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. It's a commandment. It goes on and says, as soon as you hear the sound. Now, this is really important because when culture wants to manipulate, when culture shifts, what they use culture that is anti-God, godless, going against God, how do they cause the population to shift? By imagery and by sounds. By imagery and by sound. Visual things and things that you can hear. Nothing's new under the sun. It's still things that we hear with our ear to shift our mindset, things that we see with our eyes. And this is why we have to guard what we watch, guard what we look at, what we view, and we also need to guard what we hear. Not, not only like gossip, but you start hearing too much negativity, guess what happens to your whole perspective and outlook on life? It becomes negative. You start hearing the bad news all the time. It will shade the truth of the reality of what we're going through, what you and I are actually personally experiencing, and we'll have clouded view of everything going around us. Image, the golden image, and when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither. How about that? How many of you play zither out there? I, I, I bet Joe Cattuso plays a zither. The lyre, that's not a person. That's, a, that's an instrument there. It's not, you know, a, you know, someone who is a liar. The harp, the pipe, all kinds of music. Here it is. You must fall down and worship. Here it is. The image, when you hear the sound, the image, sound and image, the power to manipulate and change people through sound and through images you must worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And it goes on. And it says, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So, kind of fast forward, what happens is the three uh, Hebrew young men that, that were chosen, they were out of the royal family. Daniel was included in that, but he does, this event uh, doesn't actually take place to him. It doesn't affect him. Uh, it, it's really Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, but, but what happens is they refuse to bow down. These three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't know what was going on with Daniel. Maybe no one saw him. But someone snitches, someone snitches on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they realize when, when all of Babylon falls down and worships this golden image when they hear the sound, these three refuse to do it. They won't do it. And, and so they snitch on them. And then we fast forward to verse 12, Daniel chapter 3, verse 12. But there are some Jews whom have you said over the affairs of the province of Babylon, this is the snitches. Here they go, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you. So they're telling Nebuchadnezzar this. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. And so Nebuchadnezzar calls them in, and he basically goes, uh, you get one warning. That's it. And look at what he says in verse 15. It says, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I have made when you hear, there it is again, the sound, 
when you hear the sound and the musical instruments. It goes on. But if you refuse, it's like, I'm not asking. This is a commandment. If you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? See, corrupt, godless culture and leaders always feel like we got more power than God. There's nobody more powerful than us. Nebuchadnezzar, and next week, boy, we're going to see it even greater. Nebuchadnezzar is about to learn what real power is. What real power, who really has the power. And so, you know, the first thing I think that is important when we talk about standing firm that we understand is really three things. The first one is this. Standing firm takes courage. Standing firm takes courage. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had courage. It takes courage to, to stand. Look at verse 16, their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not worried about what will happen to us. We're not going to do it. We're not worried. The courage to stand. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, it takes real courage to stand. I mean, you know, sometimes just even, uh, I'm not talking about standing like, you know, you're, you're getting a, a burger someplace and, and saying a blessing over the food. You know, I don't know that that's like standing, like what we're talking about here. You know, uh, I'm not big into that. You know, sometimes out there with, you know, getting a bite to eat with some friends, some some guys, and there's always that one guy who wants to hold hands and pray. I don't, um, no, I like you, but I don't, I don't like you that much. I'm not holding your hand uh, and praying uh, in public over the food. And then there's always that one that just goes a little too long, you know, in the prayer, and it's like, please, my food's getting cold. Can you please just, I don't need to hear your theology, just bless the food. Uh, I'm not talking about taking a stand, you know, blessing the meal. The, these, these guys are being commanded to do what's wrong in the eyes of God, worship idols. And so they said, you know, we're not, we're not worried about it. We're not worried about what's going to happen to us. See, it doesn't mean they weren't afraid. I, I think it's just real important to have this in your nose. Courage isn't the absence of fear. That's not what courage is. Courage is standing firm in spite of my fear. It is doing the right thing even though I'm afraid. Even though there's going to be pushback, even though people are going to ridicule me, even though my family's going to reject me. Courage doesn't mean that the absence of fear. It, it means I'm going to stand firm even in spite of my fear. So first, standing firm takes courage. Here's the second thing that we see. Standing firm takes faith. Standing firm takes faith. Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, this is their response to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And listen to the tone as well. I think it's really important because, again, grace and truth. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He'll rescue us from your power, your majesty. And I love this. This might be one of my favorite just verses, perspective. Man, this says so much about faith. Even if he doesn't. See, faith can say, God is more than able. God is powerful. God can, can, can bring a victory here. God can heal me of this disease. That's faith. And it's also faith, but even if he doesn't. 
See, there's some people who say that's not faith, but that in actual that is faith. Because it's not based on what God does or what he doesn't do for me. My faith is anchored in God no matter what. That's real faith. Not if God does what I want him to, what I ask him to. Even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't. And it goes on and it says, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty. Do you, do you hear still grace and truth? They're speaking respectfully to a pagan, godless ruler and king. They're, they're not slamming him. They're not slandering him. They're, they're not, you know, posting memes about him. Your majesty. We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. Man, there's so much we could learn from this example. This book of Daniel is so clear about how we as Christians are supposed to conduct our lives, everything we do, how we say, how we speak, can I put it this way, what we post, based on God's word. Based on God's word. Clear example in scripture. Thousands and thousands of years old. Your majesty, we're, we're not gonna do it. They, they, don't, they don't scream, they don't shout, they don't post memes, they don't say we're gonna burn it down. They're not destroying property. They said, you do whatever you want to with us. We're not going to do that. Really, that takes faith. That takes real faith. That takes faith in God all the way deep down in the core. In fact, you know, I heard it put this way before. I think it's true. You can see it here in this, this story. God often blesses our no's more than our yeses. God's power is unleashed in our life. His miraculous, supernatural power when we say no to the things God wants us to say no to. When they say no, not, not flippantly, not disrespectfully, no, King, we're, we're not going to do that. It sets them up for one of the most supernatural, powerful encounters that we even find in, in all the Old Testament. God often blesses our no's more than our yeses. See, what, what I call this is, is really, this is like, uh, if you're a Christian, you're in a, a win-win situation. So think about it, what he's saying here. They're like this. Our God can save us, and if he does, we're gonna live longer, and we're gonna keep serving him more. But if he doesn't deliver us from the furnace, guess what? We just get more of what we want anyway, and that's him. So whether he supernaturally saves us, or we're in his presence. It's a win-win. I, I love that. These, these are men of incredible faith. Not doubting God. They realize if, he, if, he, if they live, it, they win. If they die, they win. Either way, they're not going to allow their circumstances to shake their faith. I, I love it. I, I this perspective, you also see this in the New Testament. Uh, I don't have this in your notes, but 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18, it says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. Think about that. The Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Same idea. 
the Lord will rescue me from every evil, and he's either going to completely deliver me from that evil attack, or he's going to bring me home to him. Either way, I win. What a great perspective. What a biblical, solid perspective of faith. As Christians, we're in a win-win situation. And, and by the way, this is really important, I think, that, to just point out, uh, you know, sometimes uh, the, the whole issue of civil disobedience uh, comes up. You know, when is the right time to resist? We hear a lot about resist, resist, resist. When is the right time to resist authority or resist governmental authority? Uh, here it is, just real 90-second clarity. The right time, biblically speaking, to resist authority is when authority commands you to do something that would break God's law. Just like this, worship an idol. When we're commanded by a government authority, you cannot do this, or you have to do something that is against God's law. And the place of resistance, when you personally are commanded, not, not someone else, when you personally are commanded to violate God's law, and you resist, not you don't break every law, you just resist that one commandment. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Listen, we're not going to bow down. We're not going to bow to your idol. No matter what you do to us, we're not going to do it. It wasn't because someone else was commanded. They personally were commanded. And Scripture's kind of clear on this. At what point do we resist? Not, not when we disagree. When we're commanded to break God's law. That's, and on that point only do we resist. That's why we have to have this grace and truth. They're not making an emotional response here. This is not an emotional decision. This is a spiritual decision in keeping in line with God and God's perspective as they were commanded to disobey God's commandments. And so they resist. Then it goes on, Daniel chapter 3, verse 21. So these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Wearing their robes, trousers, and turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The, king com- the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot, watch this now, goes on, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So think about that. He, he was so irate, the king was, that they would resist his commandment, that what they had to do, they had to worship that idol that he had made, that he said, turn it up, boys, and the furnace was so hot when they opened the door, it killed the soldiers that was carrying them. That's odd. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you can't say that fast, they fell into the blazing furnace, these three men tied up in their robes, turbans, and all. It goes on and it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement as he asked his advisors, and he goes and he looks. He looks in there to see these guys that he thinks are, you know, uh, you know they're, they're going to be crunchy critters at this point. And, and it says, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Goes on. They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. This is what we call, in in theology, a Christophany. This is Jesus in the furnace. This is a pre-incarnate, before the New Testament when Jesus was 
took on flesh and born of the Virgin Mary. This is an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. There's multiple ones. He's the fourth man in the furnace. Now, now don't miss it. It's so powerful here. Because of the way that they conducted themselves, grace and truth, because of the way that they still were respectful, and yet they took a stand and said, we're not going to do, we're going to resist what you are commanding us by law we have to do. They see one of the most supernatural events in the Old Testament. Jesus himself shows up. And they opened the door of the furnace and it killed the soldiers. They're walking around and they're untied, and un- unbound and unharmed. Walking around completely free. Just this absolutely amazing story because they said no to what God would say no to. And because they conducted themselves in the right way. See, I think it's so important that... Uh, they, they took a stand for God. And, and, and you know what? When it, when it comes to taking a stand, we see this over and over and over throughout Scripture. And I think as Christians, sometimes we get this wrong. And I think we can see they got it right. Faith is focused on what you stand for, not what you stand against. Let me say that again. Faith, real faith, is focused on what you stand for, not what you stand against. See, We're supposed to stand for God, not anyone else or anything else. We're supposed to stand for Jesus Christ, who is God the Son. We're supposed to stand for what God stands for. Not not be against this, against that. We're pro-Jesus. And so many times, Christian churches just spin their wheels, we're against this, we're against this, we're anti this, we're anti that. And you know what our culture just wants to tell, oh, you're a Christian, you must be anti this. And You know what, I'm not anti, I'm pro-Jesus, that's what I am. I'm pro-Jesus. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Just like Jesus was full of grace and truth, as we saw last week, you and I are supposed to be full of grace and truth being pro-Jesus. He's greater than all. Faith is focused on what you stand for, not what you stand against. And, and, and you probably heard it said this way. I think it's true. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything. So let me ask you a question. What do you stand for today? Or let me put it this way. Who do you stand for today? Nebuchadnezzar wanted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bend their knee, to bow down, to the idol of culture. They said, we're not going to bow down. We're going to stand. We're going to stand for God. We're going to stand for his way. We're going to stand for who he is. Standing firm also inspires others. Because of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing in grace and truth, Standing for God, not bowing their knee to the idolatry of the culture. Look at what happens. Daniel chapter 3, verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and and defied the king's command. It goes on and says, 
and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, goes on, will be cut into pieces and their house will be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. It inspired him so much when, they, when the king saw what happened because they said no to what God said no to. Because they took a stand for God and said, we refuse to bow our knee to anyone or anything besides our holy God. It changed completely the empire. It changed the king's heart. He put them in an area of influence where now they had input into the decisions of the most powerful man on the planet at the time, the king of Babylon. Because they approached it with grace and truth and they took a stand. Man, that's some good preaching right there. (laughs) This story just preaches itself. So powerful. And you know, the same is true today. When, when, when culture's greatest test, we want you to bow down to what we say you're supposed to bow down to. And you worship what we tell you is important. I'm not going to bow my knee. I'm not going to bow my knee, no matter what happens. So real quickly now, in the time we have remaining, how do we live a stand-up life in a bow-down world. (laughs) Culture and and American culture, everything is sliding away from God, sliding towards Babylonian, really, uh, can I put it this way, mindset and mentality. We're going to talk about the Babylonian mentality next week. Real good to see what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. You want to come back for that. But how do we live a stand-up life as a follower of Christ in a bow-down world? Because it's so easy to compromise. It's so easy to let the images and the sounds change our mindset instead of God's word instructing how we're supposed to live. So so real quickly, three ways that you and I can live a stand-up life in a bow-down world. Here's the first thing. Stand in prayer. Stand in prayer. Which, by the way, coming up this week... First Saturday in October, we're going to have live in-person Saturday morning prayer again, and I can't wait. And I hope we have a lot of folks come out. We're going to have masks on. We're going to social distance. But, man, we are so great to get back to live prayer first Saturday in October, coming right up this week. We need to stand up in prayer. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, the Bible says, Put on the full armor of God. Remember, we talked about this. uh, We did a whole series on this last year. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your, there it is, stand against the devil's schemes. Listen, the devil's got schemes. And if you and I are caught up in the images we're seeing and the things that we're hearing, we are not going to take a stand. And the enemy, the devil, his schemes are going to be victorious in our lives. And our mindsets, and we're going to live defeated lives put on the full armor of god remember our swat series spiritual warfare and tactics put on the full armor of god so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes goes on actually in ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 it says therefore put on the full armor of god so that when the day of evil comes and man aren't they getting more and more evil every day you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand stand firm then you get the idea you and i are called to stand stand firm 
Not, not for my personal opinion, not for even some, my political persuasion. All of those things are cultural things that don't really reflect God at all. We're called to stand for Jesus. Stand for God. Stand. Be courageous and stand in grace and truth just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So how do you live a stand-up life in a bow-down world? Stand in prayer. Second thing is this. Stand for my purpose. I've got to stand for my purpose. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, that's us, brothers and sisters, the family of God, stand firm. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully, there it is, to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Man, I, I don't even want to tell you how many times I've thought about quitting as a pastor over the last 30 years. It's more than 30 times, I assure you that. I don't even want to tell you how many times you, you, you'd be embarrassed. Why haven't you done it, Greg? Because I'm going to stand in the purpose God created me for. Stand in the purpose. This is the purpose he created me for. Stand. Stand in the purpose that God created you for. Take a stand. I'm not moving. I'm not quitting. I'm not throwing in the towel. Stand and fulfill the purpose. The unique purpose that God created you for. And when we bring those purposes together, we can do, we've talked about this also, better together. We can do so much more together as a church family, when we stand together. When we stand together. That's why unity is so important. Stand in prayer. Stand for my purpose. Here's the last thing. Stand for God. This, it, it, if nothing else, stand for God. Stand for Him. I love how the message translation puts it. Matthew chapter 10 Verse 32, stand up for me against the world opinion and I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. Well, that's pretty much nothing else to say. <laughs> stand up for me against world's opinion, worldly perspective, and I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, Verse 32, New Living Translation, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. So here's a, kind of summarizing this story of the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how you and I are called to stand today in 2020 and all the time. No matter what's swirling around, standing for God. When I stand for Jesus, Jesus stands with me. When I stand with Jesus, Jesus stands with me. You know, it's interesting in the New Testament, all throughout the New Testament, multiple times in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of our Father. He's seated. He's seated. We're seated with him in heavenly places, Ephesians said. Seated, seated, seated. 
But in the book of Acts, the first Christian martyr, his name was Stephen, the first one that gave his life up out of love and devotion to Jesus Christ. The crowd actually, he was preaching to him, and then he, he turned and he started talking about Jesus Christ was the Son of God and, and laid his life down. That they'd, they'd crucified him, they'd killed him. And, and they began to pick up stones and throw them at them and stone him to death. And when, when that would happen, what they would do is they, they would literally tie someone to the post and their hands behind their back and they would throw stones so much on it that you wouldn't even see a person anymore. They'd be completely under a pile of, of stone. As they're doing that, Acts chapter 7, Stephen looks up and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And then he says this, this is so powerful. All throughout the New Testament, it says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And Stephen's got his arms tied behind his back. And he says, I see the Son of God standing in the heavens. Why was Jesus standing? As Stephen's life was being taken from him, as it was running out of him, Jesus, who was seated, stood up as Stephen stood for him. Jesus stood up to welcome the first one who would ever lay his life down for him. When I take a stand for Jesus, Jesus stands with me. As Stephen took a stand for Jesus, Jesus stood with him. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced. That's what Stephen experienced. And that's what you and I can experience. As, as this world and this, this nation just continues to slide further off the rails towards godlessness, as Christianity is being more and more being persecuted. Listen, you know, I, I'm not in fear today of because I'm a Christian, my life being taken from me because of my faith in Christ. I, I do know places in this world and I do know people that live with that constantly. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I, I don't know if that's going to happen here in this nation. But I do know if that type of persecution comes, I do know what I'm going to do. I do know I'm going to do what God's called me to do, what God's called all of us to do as followers of Christ. I'm going to stand for Jesus. I'm going to stand for Jesus, full of grace, full of truth. That's culture's greatest test. I'm going to ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need courage today to stand. Courage to stand in prayer. Courage to stand for the purpose that you created us for. Lord, but more than any of that, we need to stand for you. Stand for you. God, 
give us eyes to see not the images that the world wants us to see, not the sounds that our culture wants us to hear, but Lord, give us eyes to see you, ears to hear your voice. And Lord, the, the, the resolute courage that if and when we are ever commanded to disobey you, that in grace and truth we will stand for you, knowing that as we stand for you, your Son, our Savior, is standing with us. Thank you, God, for this story that inspires us so, more, so much that even as you changed the heart of a wicked king, his perspective, because of the no that these three men of faith had that they said because of their faith in you. May we be people of faith as well and stand for you as Jesus stands with us. Right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity if you've never prayed before to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's how that relationship starts. He gives you the power to stand. That's why Jesus came and lived a sinless life. And he laid that life down as a sacrifice for you, as a substitute for you and for me. He, he paid in full the price of your personal sins and my personal sins. And he rose again three days later from the cross. The Bible says if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so right now, I just want to invite you to open your heart up to Jesus. Repeat this prayer after me. And, and surrender your life to him today. Just repeat after me in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. I turn from my sin today. Jesus, thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. And I ask you to lead me, guide me, direct me by your Holy Spirit from this day forward, and I will follow you. Amen. Amen.